0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. We'll be covering from Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, all the way to chapter 10, right? All the way to chapter 10, and, and, and what we're doing today is... Diving into nine out of the ten plagues. So I'm excited. I feel the Lord is going to um, be saying much to us as we, we dive into this and see what he's saying to us as he, as we walk through these plagues. So I'll be doing a, a flyover. I'll be zooming over it. But there are some really specific moments that we're going to zoom in. Okay? And, we're, and, and we'll look at what is the Lord saying right here Right now, so as we go ahead and kick this thing off, if you would stand with me, I want to read Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 19. And it reads like this Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff. And stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, over their canals, their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, as we enter into this text today, as we enter into this text, We enter in with a conversation happening between God and Moses. They're having a conversation, and they are talking about Pharaoh. This is important. They're having a conversation. They're talking about Pharaoh. they're, They're contemplating what the strategy is going to be. So as we enter into our conversation this morning, I want to start the exact same way. I want to start with talking about Pharaoh. You see... Thus far inside the Bible, Pharaoh has been the worst character in the story, thus far. He has a, a, a long lines of things. He instituted the oppression of an entire people group. And when I say oppression, I'm talking about brutal oppression of an entire group of people. He, he, he kicked into, into effect the mass genocide of many babies. Through post-birth abortion. As a matter of fact, when he does this, he forces the nation to participate with them. He sends out a decree. All of the other Egyptians, if you see an Israelite and they have a baby, here's your job. Take the baby and throw it into the Nile River. And He does all this through fear-mongering telling them that this is for the sake of the nation. We're in trouble. you got to do this. All the while, Pharaoh and himself showing no fear and no regard for God at all. As a matter of fact, he sees himself as a God. Now, when we was going through chapter 2, we realized that This isn't the same Pharaoh that started everything. This isn't the same Pharaoh that instituted all of the the, the killing of the children and uh, and the oppression. This is a different Pharaoh. The Pharaoh that Moses finally goes up and confronts, the Pharaoh when the plagues fall, is a totally different Pharaoh, but we still don't know his name. We still don't know his name. We know Moses' name. We know the midwives' names. Those names got dropped. As a matter of fact, last week we went through a section of scripture where we went through a whole genealogy that was dropping mad names, but yet still it's another Pharaoh, and we still just know him as Pharaoh. Pharaoh. We don't know if it's King Tut, the second, or the third. We don't know if this is Ramses, the first, or the second. We don't, we, don't, we don't know, and I want to say this morning that that is intentional. It's intentional. You see, God doesn't want us sitting there trying to pinpoint a specific Pharaoh and focus and zoom in on him. That guy, he was so bad. That's not what God wants. Instead, if we, if we get it, if we see it, what we'll see is that Pharaoh is an image of the pattern of human rebellion against God itself. If you're just disconnecting yourself from Pharaoh and not realizing Pharaoh is an image of the human rebellion, you're, you're missing it. Yep. As a matter of fact, I was reading it through through... Um, some stuff in the Bible project, and here's what they say about about this Pharaoh. They say, he embodies the strange and tragic turn the human heart can take when one person or society places their own values and well-being above another person or society. Pharaoh is what happens when an entire nation redefines good and evil apart from God's wisdom. Hmm. You see, see, Pharaoh tried to redefine good and evil on Egyptians' terms. Uh, He tried to redefine good and evil on, on his terms. That was the parameter that he was looking through. And if we're going to be honest this morning, if we're going to be honest, dude, we do the same thing all the time. Define good and evil on our own terms. We've been doing it since the garden. This is what I think is good. Then we get together as a nation and collectively as a nation redefine good and evil based on what we believe is best benefits the nation. We think this will be the best benefit. That's good and that's evil all based on whether or not we feel we benefit the most from it. Redefining good and evil. So this morning as we go into this text, as we engage, if you want to know who Pharaoh is, I want to say stop and look in the mirror. I want to say slow down some. Slow down some, look in the mirror. If you want to know who Pharaoh is, we've been acting like our own God for a long, long time. Yep. We can easily go and we read the scriptures. We read Exodus, and 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 we read and we read ourselves as the Israelites, the the ones that are being rescued, the ones that are being delivered from our burdens. Thank you, Lord. He comes to deliver us out of, of, of our burdens. And yes, you should read yourself as that. And 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 so we read. Exodus, and and some of us, oh, I'm I'm Moses. I just need to respond to his call and trust him, and God is going to use me. But I'm saying this morning, we need to also read ourselves as Pharaoh. We've been acting like the Pharaoh of our own kingdom for a long time now. So in this conversation that God is having with Moses, About Pharaoh, he brings up two things. One, he talks about Pharaoh's heart. Two, he talks about the first plague. So let's look at what he says regarding Pharaoh's heart because I believe it gives us insight to our own hearts. He starts off and he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Right here at the beginning, as we, we, at the beginning of the, of the plagues, what we start to see is a pattern. A pattern where Pharaoh hardens his own heart. He hardens his heart. And before each plague, God comments on the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. So I want to linger a bit and talk about this hardness. You see, in the Bible, there are three different Greek words that are being translated as "harden." When they go through the plagues at different times, it's different Greek words, but they're being translated as "harden." One is chizak. It means to harden, strengthen, or seize. The imagery here is when Moses, God told Moses to stretch out his arm and seize the snake, and it hardened, turning into a staff. At that moment, when Moses is seizing the snake, he is gaining control over the snake, hardening it. See, we often harden our hearts in an attempt to seize control. I want us to, to, to know that this morning God is doing a case study on your hearts, on my heart. The other word that's being translated at is "kabad." It means Heavy or glorify. The imagery here was that Pharaoh made the Israelites' workloads heavy. That's the imagery. Pharaoh made the Israelites' workload heavy, and when he did this, he did it so that he would be glorified. So as Moses is saying, God came to deliver you, he makes their workload so heavy that they would in turn think that, that, that Pharaoh is greater and mightier than, than God. You see, we often harden and make our hearts heavy so that we can be glorified. I'm doubling down. I want you to remember it was me, and that's all about pride. Uh, our hearts are on the chopping block. This whole deal, the next word is kasha, severe, fierce, stiffened. The image is childbirth. The image is childbirth. That's the image connected here. This severe and fierce, tensing up to push something out. That's the hardening here. See, we often have these these hard, hard moments that are uh, severe and fierce, tensing up just so I can push through, and what I'm wanting to birth out is my own will. So I'm about to tense up and push through. This is All the three words that are used to describe the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So he tells Moses about Pharaoh's heart. Then he discusses the upcoming plague. So as we go into the plague and we start to zoom through these things, it's important that we understand something about Egypt. You see, Egypt had an entire system of gods that they were being systematically worshipped and pharaoh viewed himself at the center of all of this all right we got to know this because it's just like us you see we here and we have this entire system of idols that we worship and right smack dab inside the center of those idols is me we need to understand that They had idols that they worshipped for every single aspect of life, so God wages war in these idols. And when he wages war, he exposes them as false, and in the exposing of them being false, he's making himself known to both Israel and culture through the exposing of these false idols. So as we walk through these nine plays, here's what we'll see. We'll see the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. We'll see the idols of culture being exposed and confronted and how Pharaoh's hard heart responds. And I wanted to pay so much attention to that part so that we will see the hardness of our own hearts. So we'll see the idols being exposed and confronted in our own lives and how our own hard hearts respond to the confrontation of the idols in our own life. So let me get back to the story. God speaks to Moses, who speaks to Aaron, and Aaron asks Pharaoh to let the people go. Because God wants us to go out and worship him inside of the wilderness. We're on our way out. He's leading us, and Pharaoh is like, no. So there goes plague number one. And then plague number one... uh, Water is turned to blood. That's the one that we read earlier on in the beginning. Water and blood symbolized life. It was this common blessing that, that people took for granted until they had no more drinking water, until they had no water to clean, no water to cook, no water to fertilize the vegetables. Everything shut down for seven days straight. A direct attack against the Egyptian god, happy, considered to be the god of the Nile. You see, they would would worship to happy, and they would sacrifice to happy, and the way they would would sacrifice to happy was by throwing things into the river, which gives context to why Pharaoh had the Egyptians throw the Israelite babies into the river. It impacted everything in their economic structure, and God's first plague makes this attack, but what I want to look at is how Pharaoh responds. Look at 7, 21-23. It says, But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. As the Lord had said, Pharaoh turned and went into his house and did not take even this to heart. The magicians mimicked at a really small scale the The miracle that had been done and Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He didn't listen and he just turns and he goes inside of his house not taking things serious. You see, in the hardness of our hearts, we'll turn our backs on the truth of God and accept cheap imitations in its place. We'll see the true signs of God. We even know on the inside that the true signs of God. But in our hardness of heart, we don't want to submit to these true signs of God. Why? Because submitting means obedience. Submitting means humility. Submitting actually means dying in the self. And Lord forbid we actually die the self. So we'll accept false alternatives instead. They sort of resemble the truth. I'll take that. They don't require any obedience. They don't require dying to self. So in the light of our heart, hearts and false alternatives return our backs and walk away without taking to heart the implications of the true signs of the gospel. Enter in plague number two, which was the frogs. This is a time where God says, I'm going to send frogs. They're going to be all over the place in every single room, in your food, Everywhere. And pharaoh magicians, they, 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 they produce frogs too. Now, pharaoh didn't actually need more frogs to be produced, though. That's the deal. Hey, they put, yo, we can do it too. And pharaoh was like, that's, that's cool. But the problem is they wasn't allowed to kill frogs. They wasn't allowed to kill frogs because one of their deities by the name of Heket was, a, was a, a goddess of fertility, and, and she appeared to them in the form of a frog. That's how they, they designed her and stuff. She had like a, a frog head. So when the magicians reproduce the frogs, it's like, okay, we don't need more. And and so <laughs> Pharaoh's like, yo, we gotta do something about it. And I want to look at what Pharaoh does, and he responds, and A and, and 8-10, it says, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord <laughs> to take away the frogs. My magicians can't do that um, from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. He said, tomorrow. You see, now Pharaoh is acknowledging that that God has authority, So, so he asked him to remove the frogs, but you see, he doesn't want to humble himself and submit to God as the ultimate authority over him. So he thinks he's in a position to bargain with God. If you get rid of the frogs, I'll let go of the people. Moses even plays along with them and asks them, oh, when do you want me to ask God to get rid of the frogs? And, and, Mo, and Pharaoh fronts. No, even though they're in the food and tomorrow, it's not that bad. See, only from a hardness of heart do we have the arrogance to think we can bargain with God. Every single time, I, I, I listen, this is our hearts that we actually have the arrogance to think we can bargain with, with, with God. You see, God doesn't have to fix that situation. He doesn't have to change that person. He doesn't have to do what you think that he should do in order for you to be obedient. And it's our own heart and it's our heart that will rather walk around in front like things ain't as bad as they really are. You can take them tomorrow. It's all good well the moment god fixes the frogs and and pharaoh reneges he says he's going to let the people go but he doesn't do it so god hits him with the third plague gnats so the lord tells moses who tells aaron to smack the earth with his staff and and the dust of the earth turns into gnats and the gnats were were were, were all over everywhere through man and beast and and this was an attack on another Egyptian god, Geb, who was over the earth and the dust. Now, God turns around and used the same dust that he created man to turn gnats to attack the idolistic hearts of men and their actions. The magicians can't reproduce this. As a matter of fact, the magicians go back to Pharaoh and like, yo, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was still hardened, so he ignored him. So, in plague number four, flies. Another attack on the Egyptian god, Kepri, had a head of a fly. Now, Moses is speaking to God for himself. All the other times, he had Aaron speaking to him and stuff. But now, by this time, Moses was like, Yo, Aaron, I got this. I got this. The, the stuttering disappeared. I'm, I'm all good. I know I, God has been showing out, and there was flies everywhere. So much so that even the ground was covered with flies. That's what it said. And this, if you if you see this, what this is is an attack on their comfort. They're irritated, flies are everywhere, an attack on their comfort, but now God gets surgical. He gets surgical, but he makes a distinction and says, listen, the flies are going to be on the Egyptians, not on the Israelites. So everywhere where the Israelites were, it was good. So Pharaoh attempts to bargain again. He has this meeting with Moses, and he says, it says, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, all right, go ahead, go sacrifice to your God but do it within the land. And Moses was like, nah, nah, son, I would, like, we need to leave. So Pharaoh's like, all right, all right. So Pharaoh said, all right, I'll let you go and sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only, don't go too far. And then he says, also pray for me. <laughs> Can't make this thing up. Also <laughs> play for me too. So Moses was like, all right. I'm going to head out now, and I'm going to pray that God removes the flies, but don't renege like you did last time. And Moses prays, God renew, remove the flies, and Pharaoh hardens his heart again, and Pharaoh reneges. Here's the interesting thing about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart that I hope that we see. Pharaoh turns around and says, okay, you, you, you can I'll do what you're telling me to do, but here's my terms. You can't leave the land. Here's my terms. You can't go far away. Once again, we see the hardness of our hearts exposed. That's what you see. When we start to give God our own terms, hardness of heart will offer to submit to God, but on my own terms. But isn't submitting to God at all. And we turn around and we're like, yo, at least I'm doing that. At least I'm doing this, but I'm giving God my terms. That's not submitting to God. Well, this leads to plague number five it was the death of the livestock. Horses, donkeys, camels, herd, flocks, even clouds. Another attack on an Egyptian god, Hathor, had the head of a a cow, and it caused economic disaster. No food, no transportation, no military supplies, no farming supplies, no economic goods. And still, God is being surgical. This will only affect the Egyptians, and yet still... Pharaoh hardens his heart, so on with plague number six, boils. This would have been an attack on the Egyptian goddess Isis, the goddess of medicine and peace. And and God turns around and tells Moses, grab some soot from the kiln and just toss it in the air like you're LeBron James. And that's what he told them to do. Toss it inside the air and it becomes this airborne disease and boils came on all the animals and the people head to toe. Boils and this is the first time that God physically attacks the people. And by this time, the magicians, they can't even stand in front of Moses. There was too much boils all over them. And again, It happens only to the Egyptians and attacks the the cleanliness of of, of what they, 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 they felt. Cleanliness was a big part of the Egyptian culture. So this would have pronounced them unclean. And even the magicians, they couldn't go and offer up ceremonial rituals to their gods and goddesses because they was unclean. So God rendered them all in a state where they could not worship their false gods. But then it says... God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So, we move on to plague number seven. Now, this plague would have confronted the worship of the Egyptian god Nut. It was a goddess that was over the sky. Well, in the seventh plague, God was like, I own the sky. And the Lord sends Moses to talk to Pharaoh again. And and he's like, listen, I've been graceful to you. I could have been killed you off for a long time ago. I've been, I've been really, really kind. As a matter of fact, I raised you up for, for this type of a time so that I could flex my godness. What's coming next, you're not going to be able to handle, though. There's going to be hell like you've never seen before. Whatever livestock you got left, you better put them away. Man and animal to get caught inside this hell is going to die. And God has been putting division inside of their hearts already and stuff. So now it gets to the point where some of the Egyptians are like, yo, I, I think he's telling the truth this time. So some of them go ahead and take their animals and put them inside. But the rest of them was like, no, nah, Pharaoh's going to pull through. And hell comes, and it was crazy. Brimstone, people, animals, trees, farmlands, all being destroyed. But everywhere that Israel was, was good. So Pharaoh calls Moses, and here's what he says to Moses when he calls him. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. I have sinned. I really have. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. For there has been enough of God's thunder in hell. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Here's Adele. Sometimes, again, in the hardness of our hearts, we think just because we finally admit wrong, it proves that there is no hardness of heart. We think that. You see... When the only reason for admitting wrong is the consequences, this actually exposes true hardness of heart. Right. Believe it or not, people see through that. So Moses is like, all right, I'm going to head out again. And I'm going to ask the Lord to stop again. But I know you don't really fear him yet. So Moses prayed, then it stopped. What I want to do now is look at verse 9. Chapter 9, verses 34 to 35, something very important happens here. It says, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He and his servants saw the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. In Plagues 1 through 5, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then in plague six, it says that the Lord hardened his heart. Then in plague seven, it shows Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then it says, so his heart was hardened. You see, from this point out, every single time that it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened, it says the Lord did it. Up until this point... It was Pharaoh, but here on out, the Lord is hardening his heart. And I used to wrestle with this because I'm like, why would God even do that to somebody? See, the thing here, if we look at this, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hell and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, God is not making Pharaoh sin. This hardness of heart is already in Pharaoh, and God knows Pharaoh's heart better than Pharaoh does. He knows our heart more than we do, and God is like, I know you're going to harden your heart. Let me harden it for you, really. And God doubles down on Pharaoh's own hardness. So that leads us into plague number eight. which is the locust, and the locust was everywhere, and it was destroying everything. Before the locust came, Moses goes out to him, and Moses is like, yo, let us go. God is about to send locusts, and, 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 and Pharaoh's like, nah, I'm not doing it. Get out. And Moses leaves, and when Moses leaves, Pharaoh's people came to him and were like, dude, seriously. Let the man go. And let his people go. Like, like, his people have to check him. And the Pharaoh turns around and said, all right, all right, all right. He calls Moses back, and he said, listen, 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 listen. Y'all can go, but tell me who's going with y'all. And Moses like, all of us is going. What you think? We're all going. We're taking all our stuff. And Pharaoh was like, nah, nah, nah. Just send the men. And Moses is like, No. And the Pharaoh turns around and telling him, Listen, just leave then. And the, the locusts come. And then here's what happened after the locust starts devouring everything. It says, Then the Pharaoh hastily called Moses and, and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God, against you. And now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once. And plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. You can only forgive me this one last time. And Moses prays and God removes the locusts, but, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so he would not let them go. So Moses comes back and he comes back with the ninth plague, which is darkness. Now, this one was important because it was an attack on the sun god Ra. There was the most worshipped deity after Pharaoh, but this time there was no talking. There wasn't no back and forth between Moses and Pharaoh. The Lord had Moses to stretch out his hand towards the sky, and there was darkness for three days. It was pitch black. They said there was a darkness that could be felt. Even if they tried to light their candles and their fire, it wouldn't produce any light. But in the Israelites' camp, there was light all over the place. So Pharaoh calls Moses, he says, y'all can go, but leave your cattle. And Moses is like, dude, we're taking everything, but don't you understand? So Pharaoh is like, you know what? Get out of my face. You better hope that you don't see my face again. And Moses is like, came out of your mouth, and he leaves. These are plagues one through nine. And as we go through plagues one through nine, what you see is a gracious God in the midst of the hardness of our heart. You see a God that, that is sovereignly in control, that'll even turn around and take our heart of heart and use for his glory. The band could come now, we get ready for communion. Here's the deal, what's important. As we walk through all of these plagues, all of these signs, every single one of these signs testify to God. That's what they do. They testify to God. And and this whole thing starts when Moses tells Pharaoh, God wants them to come out. God wants us to go and to have a celebration. And Pharaoh says, no. No. So Moses' first sign was to turn water into blood. You see, it symbolized that Israel's deliverance would only come through blood. That's why the first sign would be water turned into blood. As a matter of fact, later on, Jesus comes, and he comes as a a better Moses. You see, when Moses showed up, it has been 400 years since they've heard anything from from God. But now, when Jesus shows up on the scene, the same thing. It's been 400 years since they heard anything from God. And guess what his first miracle was? He turned water into wine that he later tells his disciples represents his blood. That's his first miracle as he comes on the scene. And where is this happening at? A wedding celebration. His first miracle happens at a wedding celebration where he turns water into wine representing his blood. He would deliver his people through his very own blood. Ah, God told Moses, He told Moses that, 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 that Pharaoh was not going to budge unless there was a, a massive stretching out of God's arm and that there was a massive show of power. That here in Exodus, that's where we start getting this theme of the mighty arm of the Lord. It was a, a symbolic gesture of the mighty power of God. All the way from Exodus to Deuteronomy, it was, it was a, a sign of, of, of the symbol of God. And you get to Isaiah, and, and, and this more than metaphor. It became a, a, a picture of Israel's hope. But then when we get to Christ, it became more than a symbol. It became more than a, a, a metaphor. God had physically put on flesh. Yeah. And he physically would stretch out his arms. Yeah. And his people would physically be delivered through his blood on the cross. God said it's not through a mighty work, and that mighty work was manifested in Christ on the cross for us. Come on. This morning, as we get ready to go into communion, I want us to be thinking about this mighty work that's greater than the hardness of our hearts. A God that dies on a cross so that you would have soft hearts. So that I would have a soft heart. So that we would be able to trust and follow him. It was all about his blood. This morning as we come to communion, I'm praying that we will consider the hardness of our own hearts.